Um, those of you who received and have had a chance to look at the Clayton, our little um, COVID pandemic newsletter that we've been doing, um, will know that we had a go at, at this reading and uh, said that... Um, let me just sort this out. Got it. I said that Jesus walked on the sea, not on the water, and that that makes a difference. That he dominated the spirit of the sea and in an uncertain, unpredictable and uncontrollable world, that, made, that meant something. And turns out we also live in an unpredictable, uncertain and uncontrollable world. And I try to make the link between the forces as they understood them then and the forces that we have to deal with today. And I suggest is that one of the things that we can get from the story is the trust that we need to keep going. Just enough to keep going. Because after all, even after the huge storm of the death of John the Baptist only a few verses before this and all that that was likely to mean for the disciples and for Jesus they still got into the boat they had just enough trust to keep going now if you didn't read all of that well that's the pricey and you should read it maybe and if you don't get it and you would like to let me know and I can put you on the email list or the even the actual old fashioned snail mail list which we're still doing but what I said at the end of it is I left Peter behind because I didn't have time in space to deal with it. And Peter's really interesting because he doesn't appear in this same story which, are, which appears in two of the other Gospels, in Mark and in John. Peter's not there, it's just Jesus walking on the sea. And we know that the, the Gospels are in many ways discipleship manuals. They were designed for people to read and have read to them to understand how to be a follower of Jesus after the, in the years after Jesus' death. And the, one of the ways that we often look at this reading is, well, Peter obviously had faith because he stepped out of the boat, but he didn't have enough faith to keep going. When he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And so we look at Peter and say, well, he didn't have enough faith. He needed more faith. You should get, have more faith. We should be more faithful people. And then we go home thinking, oh, I should be more faithful. I know I'm not faithful enough. I've I just got to be more faithful. And I'll come back next week for another dose of why I should be more faithful. But didn't Jesus critique that whole approach? Didn't he say on a number of occasions that if you had the faith, the size of a mustard seed. In other words, so tiny you could barely see it. Wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't you be able to move an entire mountain? So I'm not buying this version of this story. That Peter had a bit of faith but not enough and we should, he should have had more and we should have more. It was a freaking storm. There's a story, and, and no one knows whether it's true or not, that James W. Turner, in order to understand storms well enough to paint them, he had himself strapped to the main mast of a sailing ship in the middle of a storm. And he stayed there. He, he was nuts. Uh, as a, I mean, he was nuts as a man. Anyway, if you ever read his story, it's quite bizarre. He 
ended up with three different surnames and died in poverty even though he was one of the wealthiest men in Britain because of his work. It's very strange. But this is the story that he did this because it was a storm and he knew that you can't paint a storm unless you are inside it. So, you know, it's easy for us to blame Peter. But what if Jesus isn't blaming Peter? What if he's saying, look, you've got enough trust. Faith is much better translated as trust. You've got enough trust. Just trust it and let things be. Why did you need to prove yourself by stepping out of the boat? Who are you? Superman? Why do you need to be so spectacular? When Peter noticed the strong wind, was he noticing because we know that wind and water are central to the Jewish story right from the very beginning. That's how they understood the beginning of the world. Every culture has its own understanding of how the world began. Some indigenous cultures in Australia talk about the, uh, a particular serpent who carved the world by moving around in it. And there are many other indigenous stories. For the Jews, it was chaos of water and wind, and out of that, God made things good, functionally workable, good. So when Peter's in the middle of this and he finally sees what's going on, it, it says he sees the wind, maybe he's noticing that things are different than he thought they were, that this is a bigger world than he understood. This was the elemental part of the world. And maybe Jesus wanted Peter just to trust and not necessarily to be the big guy in the middle of it. And I think it goes, it's a very interesting point at the very beginning of this text where it says he pushed the disciples into the boat. One of the ways of translating it apparently is you could, he basically threw the disciples into the boat. This is after the feeding of the 5,000, after the death of John the Baptist. And he dismisses the crowd. This is a strange language and we kind of brush over it because the rest of the story is so extraordinary. But there's this sense where Jesus had to compel them to do this. Not because they didn't want to get into a boat. It was a, a normal way of travel uh, around the Sea of Galilee. It's much easier to go by water than it is to go by land in difficult places. But I wonder if it's more because of the death of John the Baptist. There were 5,000 men, we're told, and who knows how many women and children. What if that was a, they, they were fermenting revolt? In Mark's Gospel, they talk about the, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, Jesus is said to, to tell them to sit down, uh, to tell the disciples to get the people to sit down in groups of 100 and in groups of 50, which seems sort of bizarre and until you know that that was the battle formations of the Jewish troops in the Maccabean era of only 100 and 200 and so years before. What if the whole thing was that this idea of fermenting revolt and the disciples who were followers of Jesus, they were the ones that stepped out of um, their normal lives to become fervent followers of Jesus. What if they, if they wanted to take up arms, as Peter does at the very end of the Jesus story, and attack? But Jesus has got a different way of living in the world, a different way of transforming the world. And so he has to almost force them, or almost as the text possibly says, throw them into the boat and dismiss the crowd in order for that not to happen. What if he is inviting them to live a different kind of trust? 
Not necessarily to be the Peter stepping out of the boat and saying, if it's you, call me to come to you, which is what the text says. Jesus, Peter is telling Jesus what to do. What if it's not a lesson in trust of stepping out of the boat, but a lesson in clarity of seeing the world as it really is? Peter saw the wind, he saw the chaos of creation that God put into a, a shape that, that God says all the way through the Genesis story is good. What if it turns out Peter isn't as in control of his life as he would like to think he is? If it is you, he says. But Jesus has already says, it is I, or in the great formulation of the Hebrew scriptures, I am. He'd already told Peter who he was. Peter says, I'm, I want you to tell me to. But Peter wasn't in control. And we want to be in control. We are not in control at the moment. We all know that. Every decision we're currently making, Euro and I were talking about this before the service started, and I'm worn out because every decision I have to make, both here and with the work that we do in the Spire community, has to be made contingent. We could do that. Oh, no, we can't do that because of this. On Friday, we, we had so many meetings in here, we were trying to figure out where to put everybody. We'll put that group over there. Oh, no, we, they can't be in there because there's more than five and that room is only allowed to have four in it because of social distancing. So they'll go there. That means we'll move that group here. And, and that's fine. But not when you make it for every decision you've got to make. And we're all in that boat. We can't be in control. Maybe we need a different kind of faith, not the one that says, right, I will go out and I will step out of the boat, and but I will have enough trust, just enough trust. A lot of people I meet at the moment act as if they know more about what's going on than the experts. Well, <laughs> this is all rubbish. This is... It's, it's, it's a conspiracy. Or it's nothing like as bad as people say. And all we need to do is, and anyone that makes me wear a mask, well, they obviously don't know what they're talking about. And I would like to do that too. Because there's something about saying all it is, is, that gives me control back. I can understand it. So, if it's a conspiracy with 5G uh, phone towers going up everywhere, that's, con that's understandable because all we need to do is take down the 5G control towers and everything will be fine. I would love it to be like that because not only does it, uh, it make it understandable to me, but I'm back in control and I want to be in control. I don't want to have this moved around. I don't want to think about whether I'll be able to do this in two weeks' time or three weeks' time or whatever, I want to be able to know that I can decide because that's the way I choose to live. But, of course, it's never been true. Natural disasters have changed the face of the earth and the face of human culture over and over and over again. And terrible things happen all the time. We can't be in control of them. But Peter wanted to be in control. He wanted to be, if you like, he wanted to be exceptional. I, 
The border controls between here and Victoria, they're really important, but they actually don't apply to me because I, and here's my reason why, I'm exceptional to everyone else. What a, a level of arrogance. And you know why I know about that arrogance? Because I experience it myself. I want to be the one that sort of steps outside of it. I want to be the one that, be, that is in control. I want it to go back the way it was. And, and this is not to blame our Prime Minister, but you can see it in every statement he makes. He is desperate for it to go back the way it was. So desperate that he chopped off JobKeeper because things are getting better now. And now he had to reverse that decision and put it back into place, at least for Victorians and all the complications that that involves. Now, it was dumb policy because what he should have done is stayed the course because we're still a long way from figuring out where we are and what we've got to do next. But I don't blame him because I'm in the same boat. I don't have the decisions to make that he has to make and the National Cabinet, but I feel myself in that situation all the time, wanting to just go... I'm, I'm less careful in the way I do my hand hygiene than I was two months ago. Has anything changed? Of course not. Has it, well, it has. It's gotten worse in most of a, uh, in many parts of Australia. But I'm so much of me wants to refuse to believe that I'm involved in this. Jesus walked on the sea. Peter walked on water. If you look at the English text, it's a very good reflection of the Greek text because there's two different words. Peter saw himself in a small situation. He could walk on water and he and Jesus could connect and it would all be fine. But Jesus was walking on the cosmic, the sea. He understood the world as it truly was and lived with it as it really was. I think we've got the same choice. I don't think... And there's lots of ways of reading the story and... You might not like this way of reading it, and actually I don't like it very much either because it's, it's, a, it's a, a real indictment on me because I want to be the Peter. I want to do things that make a difference. I've spent lots of years talking to people in couples about their relationships. People, you know, just want to have a yarn about these things. And so often I hear women say, and it's not always this way, but this is kind of fairly standard, I want to tell him how I'm feeling and how complicated this thing is that I'm dealing with. But every time I do, he wants to fix it. Well, okay, well, all we've got to do is, and I know that not just from talking to others, but because that's exactly what I've done so many times over the years, not learning that what my partner wants to do is tell me what the experience of being her at this moment is like. And my response is, well, we've got to fix it. We've got to. Well, what you need to do is, or what we should, or what I could do is, no, shut up. Just listen. And I reckon Peter might be, this story might be inviting us to do the same thing. You cannot fix this pandemic. We just have to live with it. We don't know for how long. 
We have to trust within it. We have to be, uh, we have to be in it together. We have to remind each other of, that it's complicated and we don't know how to do it and that it's okay to feel tired and it's okay to feel scared and it's okay the next day to not feel anything at all and the day after that to feel fine again and then two days later for no good reason to feel terrible. That's okay. That's the way the world is at the moment. Jesus said to Peter and the other disciples, I am, don't be afraid. I am, don't be afraid. They're linked together. He didn't just say, don't be afraid. That's not fair to say that to anyone in a fearful situation. He said, I am. In other words, he connected himself to the great meaning and deepness of the universe. The, the I am that brought goodness to the chaos in the ancient story. Well, it's hardly, I can't tie this up. Can't tie it up because who knows what's going to happen when we look at this evening's news or when we plan to do something next week. So we can't tie it up. But maybe it turns out, if you have trust the size of almost nothing, that's enough. That's enough.